Okay, good evening everyone. Broadcasting live from somewhere in British Columbia. I think it's near Surrey. But don't quote me on that. I'm here at the Sri Lankan monastery, the what's it called? BVS dot something. British Columbia Vihara Society or something. BVS.org, BVS.ca. I'm in the basement. I was trying to set this up. I'm staying actually in a separate building, but no internet. So I had this all set up right outside our kuti, my kuti. And that didn't work. Too much wind for the mic. So I've snuck down in the basement of the main building. And I don't think they need to use this space. It's 6 p.m. here. And in an hour I'm set to give a talk in another, yet another building. So, in the meantime, we're here to study a quote from Buddhavacana. But it looks like we're actually dealing with two separate texts because the quote on our meditation page is completely different from the quote that I have in my PDF. So I've been looking at that quote, PDF quote, for August 14th, and somehow it's gotten out of sync. I'll have to see what tomorrow's quote is. It'll just be a surprise. So it's a, so it's a lesson in impermanence. Instead, we have a quote about a wonderful story about Anuruddha. Anuruddha, this is a story of how Anuruddha was living in, uh, in a park together with two of his fellow monks. The Buddha was dwelling in Gositarama. Receiving the right sutta. Anandya and Mala were dwelling in Bachina Wangsadaya, a park in the Jaitya kingdom. It's during the time when the Kosambi monks were fighting. Kosumi monks were had this big quarrel going on, and it was probably the 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 most high-profile schism, besides the one, I suppose, caused by Devadatta, which was also fairly high-profile. But this was a big deal. These this whole monastery was split and in, divided into two. The monks divided into two. And their lay followers divided into two. All the nuns, the female monks, divided into two. The angels who guarded the monastery divided into two. Like two factions, all the way up to I think the heaven of the thirty-three. And so the Buddha left, and on his way to where he was going, he went to. 
On his way to Barileya Kavana, which was where the Buddha was headed, he stops off at Pachinavangsa Migadaya. Pachinavangsa Gaya. Pachina is, I think, something to do with the fact that it was east of the east of where he lived, where the Buddha lived. Anyway, I don't know. That's what the book says. So they were dwelling here, these three monks, Anuruddha and Nandiya and Kimala. And they wouldn't talk. They stayed completely silent. And every five days, I believe it was, every five days they would get together. This is how he described it. The Buddha asked about this quote. The Buddha asked how they managed to dwell, to abide this way. And Anuruddha said, Whichever us returns first from the village with alms food, prepares the seat, sets out water for drinking and washing, and puts the refuse bucket in its place. Whichever us returns last, eats any food left over if he wishes, otherwise he throws it away where there is no greenery, or drops it into water where there is no life. He puts away the seats and the water for drinking and washing. He puts away the refuse bucket after washing it, and he sweeps out the refractory. Goes on, and they do this, and they do all that, all sorts of things. Uh, and if anything is too heavy, they call someone else by a signal with the hand, and they move it by joining hands. But because of this, we do not break out into speech. But every five days, we sit together all night discussing the Dhamma. This is how we abide diligent, ardent, and resolute. So completely silent, except for every five days. I'm not sure why five days, but that was how it was. Every five days they would get together and recite the Dhamma all night, stay up all night reciting the Buddhist teaching. And furthermore, they have this the vow, no, or this 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 state of mind, or this inclination of mind, that they will think, speak, and act with love towards each other, both in public and private, and put aside their own wishes. This is important in the community. Something that monks should remember. That we all have opinions and ideas of how things should be done, And often good people can have different ideas about how things should be done. We're not always right. And even when we are right, it's not always right that we should push our way on other people. Just because we have a better way of doing it, doing something, doesn't mean that pushing other people to do it that way will have a positive result. Right? Anyway. An interesting sutta for I mean it's an interesting sutta for how it how it describes how monks live together in silence and coming together every five days. To me that part was more interesting. Um, but but interesting is the putting away of your own wishes. Uh, and Ruda also says that they describes it as without uh, living in concord with mutual appreciation, without disputing, blending like milk and water, viewing each other with kindly eyes. And then he explains, he describes 
how they put aside their own wishes. And the another interesting thing people the thing you thing you might find interesting about this sutta is when Anuruddha says this, the other two monks say, Yes, indeed, that's how we live. And then he describes um, he describes the daily practice and so on, and everyone else says, Yes, that's how we and then he, the Buddha asks whether they haven't they've attained any distinctions, any any special realizations. And Anuruddha says they have uh, there's something about having visions. Oh, that's right. There's two versions of this. It looks like hmm. in the other version, they 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 have the jhanas and they enter in the jhanas or something. But I thought so. This is right. This is yeah. No, this one is different. This isn't the one I'm thinking of. This sutta, there's two versions of this. This sutta is the Upakilesa Sutta. Anyway, the quote itself is mainly about communal harmony. And so it's not a very deep quote, I suppose. But it speaks of an interesting. Um, Interesting situation where these three monks stayed. Actually, the, they were living there and they were under the protection of this, under the, the hospitality of this the, the park keeper who was sort of keeping people away from them. So when the Buddha shows up, he forbids him to enter. He doesn't know who the Buddha is. And so he says, he says hey, don't go in there. And these monks are living in in harmony in there. Don't 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 disturb them, please. And Anuruddha has to come out and say, No, no, it's okay. This guy's he's one of us. He's our teacher. After the Buddha leaves, then the monks in the other version of the sutta, after the monks leave, after the Buddha leaves, the other monks ask him, Hey Anuruddha, how is it that you how is it that you knew about uh, our how did, how did you know that we had the same uh, realizations and so on? But Anuruddha had very magic, had special magical powers. I can't remember how it did. Anyway, I was all set to talk about the other quote. <laughs> it's a little deeper and more interesting. But uh, okay, so we have more time for questions. Go ahead. Do you want to ask? Me? Ready for questions, Bhante? Is, medi is meditation affected by taking antidepressants? Yeah, definitely. I would. I've said that. Talked about this before. And my bet, and I'm, I don't have anything to back this up besides anecdotal experience, is that it stops you from attaining realization. Antidepressants will stop you. They'll they'll be very much in your way. I guess I can't say it's impossible. There's no reason to think that it's impossible for someone on antidepressants to become enlightened, but I would say it's highly, highly unlikely and my orders of magnitude more difficult than someone actually dealing with their depression. So a person dealing with their depression can easily become free from suffering. It's easier for them than someone who's 
all happy, happy, joy, joy, many times, much of the, uh, in most cases. Someone who, who is depressed, I mean, there's this monk who said, you know, the Buddha was pretty bummed out when he left home as well, or the Bodhisattva. So, you know, depression isn't necessarily a, a negative thing. It can sometimes be a sign of, of wisdom that is immature and is just, just needs some guidance. So you see the problem, but you can't find the solution. You know, someone who is depressed often realize, is, realizes things that people are undepressed don't, or not depressed don't. Not always like that. But people who are depressed are looking for an answer, looking for a way out. That's why they can fall victim to religious people. They can become highly religious and can be taken advantage of and that sort of thing. For that reason, because they're looking for a way, looking for a solution. Antidepressants, on the other hand, it's fake. It um, prevents you from. I mean, it's an artificial protection. You know, it prevents you from seeing the truth of life, and it only lasts. It it, it covers up the symptoms for a while. You can. I've never taken them, of course, but of course I've never taken antidepressants. But um, from what I've seen and from what people have told me, it doesn't actually fix the problem. It just provides you with something that um, that um, obscures it, and that's sort of the feeling you get. So, if you could just. Uh, uh, take some, take an eraser and erase the depression part. If, if that's what, what it was doing, then you might argue that that's actually, I still wouldn't argue it, but you could argue that somehow that's beneficial to put you in a better frame of mind to meditate in cases. But that's, in either case, that's not what it does. It doesn't fix the depression, it just obscures it. Yeah, I wouldn't take antidepressants. You know, I know. I've I actually, I've said that, uh, and I, I think I would agree that, like, if you're working in the world and you need to perform, then yeah, power to you. If you need to take antidepressants for a meditation course, that shouldn't it shouldn't even be a concern, because you want to experience the truth. You want to see things as they are. You don't want to try and fix things. Now, the first noble truth is not just the truth of suffering, it's that suffering should be parinyaya, it should be fully understood. Right? Suffering should be fully understood, fully known. Literally known, not, un, not even understood, just lit, fully known. So th there's no, uh, there's, there's no, uh, it's not unequivoc unequivocable. It's uh, no uncertain terms. It should 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 see suffering. And there should be no running away from suffering. That's the first noble truth, and that's really the one that we practice. So anyone who tells you that meditation should be comfortable, should be pleasant, doesn't understand the first noble truth. Parinyaya should be fully known. 
How could you fully know suffering if it's always pleasant? You could, but not 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 if you're seeking out pleasant, not if you're avoiding what is unpleasant. Things can be pleasant, and you can still understand that even those pleasant things are not happiness. That can happen, but you have to be fully open to the to to the spectrum, full spectrum of reality. As long as you're avoiding suffering and seeking out pleasure can't understand the first noble truth. Hey, is Leela here from Thailand? Who do we have here? If that's Leela from Thailand, that's a pretty cool thing. I didn't know we'd have anyone from Thailand. That is Leela from Thailand. Is it? Yeah. Awesome. yeah. Hey, everyone else, I'm not, not excluding people. It's just... I was expecting a bunch of Westerners and not a Thai person. But Leela is an English teacher in Thailand, I think. And she has a wonderful daughter. And she's always been a good friend. A very international group. We've got Simon in Denmark. I don't have anybody in Sri Lanka. It's surprising. Any Sri Lankans? Well, it would be... Let's see. It would be about 9.20 a.m. in Sri Lanka, right? Yeah, that's a reasonable time. Where's everyone from Sri Lanka? No, I think it would be earlier than that. It would be 9 in... I don't know, maybe you're right. 12 hours? Is it? I thought it was 12 to Thailand. You might be right. 10 and a half to India. So uh, 10 Lanka. and a half to Sri Lanka as well? Still, it's not that early. All right, questions? What type of meditation would you recommend to deal with depression? Mm, Follow-up questions. Well, I, insight meditation, satipatthana, satipatthana vipassana, vipassana based on the set for satipatthana. Insight meditation based on the four foundations of mindfulness absolutely depression is suffering it's mental suffering domanasa this is the buddha said there are five benefits of or five goals that the path of satipatthana leads to and one of them is dukkha domanasa nang atankamaya to overcome or to go through, to, to overcome, really, physical and mental suffering. Ah, we've got a Scots person. Oh, our meditator list has flags on it, right? Mm -hmm. It does. We've got... Uh, Somebody there with a red, red and white cross, Denmark. Simon from Denmark. US, Marcel, US, and, and US. Marcel and Mason from Canada. Sweden, Russia, Sweden. Yeah, lots of Americans. I find it hard to meditate when I'm too happy. When I, you know, if 
I get kind of exhilarated. Mm -hmm. That's really hard to meditate when you're too happy. I, I almost don't mind feeling a little depressed when it's time to meditate. It's a little easier to settle down and meditate. Definitely can be the case. Because when you're depressed, you're looking for an answer. You're looking for a solution. When things are good, you're not looking for anything. Yeah, it's <laughs> to keep your happiness. Yeah, and it's a kind of a restless feeling when you get exhilarated. Very hard to, very hard for me to settle down and, and meditate. We have a question: Can insight meditation be complemented with reflection of repulsiveness, or should the thirty-two parts of the body be practiced by itself? Um. No, definitely it can be incorporated it's in one of the four protective meditations. It protect it'll protect your mind and keep your mind um, in a good way to be able to practice the four satipatthana. Keep you from getting too caught up in lust. Can make it difficult, if not impossible, to practice the satipatthana. So yeah useful we're going to go through this in the visuddhimagga this is one of the best sections in the in in the concentration part of the visuddhimagga i think this sunday i won't be able to do the classes though because we're having an all-day meditation course saturday and sunday so i'm gonna to have to skip this week oh that's right because it would be about mid-morning where you are oh right wait we've got a three-hour difference what time would it be so oh, it's 10, 10 here. It'll be 10 a.m. 10 a.m. actually might work. 10 a.m. would work. 10 a.m. and then 11 for, for Polly. Yeah, I can do that. And 11 would be lunch here, but I'll tell them I'm, I'll eat at 12. See, because we can eat till 1. Technically, we're only supposed to eat in the morning, but morning here is 1, is until 1 because... Uh, daylight savings time. So midday, true midday is like one thirty or something. So if if people listening don't know what the Vasudhimaga group is, um, we have a study group on Sunday, and we've been meeting since since February now. Um, and we started out studying the Vasudhimaga. Uh, we take turns reading out loud, and Bhante gives commentary and answers our questions as we go through. And we've gotten pretty far. I think we're in Chapter 7 now. And then somewhere along the way, we added in Pali. So we're uh, we're learning the ins and outs of Pali, which is tough, but very interesting. Every, every Sunday, 1 p.m., 1 p.m., Wisudimaga, 2 p.m., uh, Pali via mumble so you have to use mumble and connect mumble to serimongolo.org yeah, username and password doesn't matter whatever you want don't change any of the other settings yep that's a uh, 1 p.m 1 p.m eastern so 1700 utc time if you're somewhere other than eastern united states or eastern canada but it's a good group and the other group, I, I know um, someone had asked about this the other day, and I forgot to mention anything about it. The other group is we're looking to get together a group of uh, volunteers, people who are interested in supporting the monastery that Bhante will be establishing um, come January. 
So where is that the, going? How's the uh, how's the project going? The campaign? How's the, or the campaign group? going? The campaign is going well. I, I checked on it earlier and more more than a third of the way to the goal after just five or six days. So that seems like a really good start. Um, and then the group is, um, again, it's a group of people who are interested in supporting Bhante's uh, establishment of this monastery. So looking for people that are, you know, willing to just do various things, whatever is needed, we'll meet weekly with Bhante on either Google Plus or Google Hangouts or Mumble, depending on the size of the group. Um, check with him and see what the monastery needs in any given week. And, you know, some, some weeks it might need actual items, other weeks, you know, maybe more um, some sort of a task or a project that we can help with, even things that can be done from far away. So that will be starting um, not this Sunday night, but a week from this Sunday night on August 23rd. And why not this Sunday night? Well, I'm I'm going to actually be traveling. Yeah. I'm, yeah, after class, I'm I'm heading up to Maine to go camping for a few days, and um, I mean, you're you're welcome to, you know, do it without me. But you're probably traveling too, or or doing something, or are you not coming back until Monday. No, I'll be free at that time. Oh, okay. Yeah. What so if you want What were you saying? Nine. Yeah, we were saying. Well, we were saying after the Dhamma talk on Sunday night, right. so maybe nine thirty. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. you're interested. But yeah. no, we'll wait for you. Um, either or, but, um, you know, if you're interested, just, you know, be there on Sunday nights. There's also, um, we put together a quick Facebook group just to give information to. It's, if you're not on Facebook, don't want to be on Facebook, there's no need to, to join that. But if you are and you would like to, it's um, just look up uh, Surrey Mungalo Volunteers. It's a, a group. And just um, click join on that, and then you'll get information on when the meetings are, and or if you miss the meetings, you know maybe what was discussed at the meeting, what the needs of the the monastery are for that week. Just trying to provide a little support there. No other questions. No, I, just a question on where and when is the Visuddhi Manka talk? But I think we pretty much covered that. Um, it is online. It's on Mumble, an audio chat program, if you haven't used that yet. It's um, uh, one of these things where you download a client and you can speak, kind of like a big conference call. Um, but we have all the information for the study group also on a Facebook group. So if you want to peek in and get all the specifics on that, if you go to Facebook and um, look up uh, study group with Yutadamo Biku, I believe. Check. Yeah, the uh, the thing mumbles kind of if you think of it, it's like Skype, except with Skype you have to invite people to the conversation. With Mumble, you have a server and log in and, or just connect, you know. So you you don't need an invitation. You just have to know the server, and then you log in and or log out whenever you want. No no invitation necessary. So it's useful for classes. And the audio is pretty good. Low latency is the key. There's no lag, so everyone's able to talk with each other without having to wait.
So I just put the study group and the volunteer group links into the chat in the meditation app if anybody is um, interested in those. The stages of knowledge will come in the third section. We are now partway through the second section. So as long as I don't die beforehand, I'll probably be holding courses that will lead us through the third section. If I die first, no promises. What do you think we'll do with the poly now that we're through with the, the textbook there? Well, we probably should just start on the parts that are missing, right? Compounds and the derivation. Derivation isn't so important. It's I mean, it's it's quite useful, but it's a little more advanced. And it's not nearly as important for a beginner as memorizing the paradigms, which I'm assuming most of the people haven't done. But compounds would be useful to go through because there's different kinds of compounds. And because compounds are so much more common in Pali than they are in English, you should learn uh, about the different types. It's not, not difficult. It's a little confusing because they don't actually different texts say different things and, and the categories aren't perfect but anyway it'll be good to get give you some examples of different kinds of compounds so you get an idea sounds good I was talking to the monk here we had a couple of interesting discussions I asked them why they use Sanskrit why do Sri Lankan monks use Sanskrit because he's actually just finished his PhD or he's, he's, he's submitted his dissertation or whatever you call it on uh, Buddhist Sanskrit. And then I heard him using Sanskrit today in the chants and I said, why is it that Sri Lankan monks use chants? Because it's Singhala, they, he speaks in Singhala, but it's most of the words are Sanskrit. Like, why do they use Skanda instead of Kanda and Sangskara instead of Sankara? When, when Sri Lanka was really the birthplace of, not the birthplace actually, that, that was wrong of me to say, but it's where the Pali Tipitaka came from. I don't even know if that you could say that. Anyway, it's where it was first written down, right? Or is it? It's where the commentaries came from. Anyway, it was a stronghold of Pali Buddhism. It still is, even today. Even today, Pali Buddhism is at its, probably at its strongest in Sri Lanka, or Burma maybe. So why then do they use Sanskrit? He didn't really he didn't, have an answer. Oh, he didn't explain why? He kind of agreed with me when he said that, when I said that um, Sanskrit just sounds more, more impressive. <laughs> he agreed that that was probably a part of it. It just sounds more impressive to say sangskara. I mean, it sounds, uh, I would say it sounds a little ostentatious, honestly, but... So is Tri Pitaka Sanskrit and T 
Tupitaka is Pali. Yeah. Throw a few extra letters in there. Yeah, because three is three. Three. Eka is the same, Dwe is the same, but T is three in Sanskrit. It's funny, and uh, they use the Pali, but then when they translate into Singhala, it's all Sanskrit. Doesn't make much sense. Vidarshana, they, they call Vipassana Vidarshana, because it's an interesting Pali thing that... Uh, or Sanskrit thing that darsh, the root is darsh, darsh actually, which means to see in regards to seeing, but it becomes pas. It should actually be pashyana, but they call it vidarshana because darsh and pash, they, they are interchangeable. It's the same root and it's used, it's just switched at different times. But vidarshana is Sanskrit. So, to ask the people. Anyway, is that is that very common, or is it just in this one particular Vihara where you are? No, that's this, that Singhalese. It Singhalese uses many many Sanskrit words. Interesting. And it, I, he, see, I was asking him, is there any history of Brahmanism? And there isn't really, as far as he was saying, as far as I've heard, there isn't really a history of Brahmanism in in Sri Lanka. Before Mahinda came, who was the man, the monk who brought Buddhism, son of King Ashoka, before he came, it was animism. Um, so they, so even if they had been using Sanskrit at all, they wouldn't have these Buddhist words. Buddhist words like sanskara, sanskara is and and skanda and vidarshana, these are, I think, specifically Buddhist words. And the only way way you'd actually get the Sanskrit counterparts is in the Mahayana Buddhism and I don't think there was ever really ma much Mahayana Buddhism in Sri Lanka so the only other way is uh, as the Mahayana developed in India and this whole culture of university-based Buddhism that uh, it became more they, they, they adopted the Brahman standard because Sanskrit is a much more standardized language Pali is kind of I mean it's much more like the Buddha you know I think the Buddha was more of a counterculture than institution, right? The Buddha was fairly a bit of a rebel, you could say. I mean, it, and I think that has a deep meaning to it, like in a deep sense, because you think about the Buddha rebelled against the institution and the entirety of the institution. He rebelled against the angels, the gods, some samsara as a whole. He rebelled against the entire system, uh, not just the Brahmins, but everything they stood for. He rebelled against it. So, so Pali seems like the perfect language when it's not the institutional language. It's not the perfect structured language. It's a it's the people's language. I just saw some people arguing about the use of the words fewer or less. Someone said less, like you know how they say ten items or less in the, the express aisle in the grocery store it should actually be 10 items or fewer but the, the, there was a, someone was ranting and said no 
fewer is a word that was made up to solve a non-existent problem. Less works just fine. Was, uh, the rant was significantly longer than that, but it was basically. We got another question, Wilbur. I think so. If you note that your mind is wandering, since you are not trying to control anything, does that mean you should keep thinking and get lost in thought? Or are you supposed to try and control it? It's not control. You're supposed to try to um, understand it and cultivate objectivity in regards to it, to see it clearly. It's not the same as controlling something. You're trying to purify it. Like you have this... Um, the stream, you know, this is your stream of thought, and unimpeded, it's going to go in its own, it's going to go wrong, it's tainted. So you insert a filter, and then it continues on, but the defilements are filtered out. Uh, we've, uh, mindfulness is like a filter. It purifies the stream. You're not controlling it. So the thinking is is actually allowed to continue but the desire to think, the curiosity, the interest, the concern, whatever it is that's the emotions involved with it aren't allowed to continue. And as a result, the thinking doesn't really last. I mean, it doesn't work so well with thinking because mindfulness in itself is a thought, so there is a disruption there. But the intention isn't to stop thinking. The intention is to, to see the thought, that's just a thought, to purify it. So you're no longer emotional about it. But you, it'd be clear if you think about the stomach rising and falling. No, you're not trying to control the stomach. You're just trying to purify your observation of it so that you're no longer trying to control it. You're actually trying to free yourself from the need to control, the need to control experiences. Because you'll find yourself automatically controlling the stomach. That's why it's such a good object of reflection, because you'll see impermanent suffering and non-self. You'll see yourself trying to control it. You'll see yourself wishing or, or, or becoming upset that it's not stable, that it's not constant. And as a result, you'll come to let go. It, it leads you, it forces you to let go. Yeah, I think that's a good argument for saying Dhamma instead of Dharma instead of karma, because the Buddha was a rebel, a counterculture. He used the language of the people, not the language of the institution. And we should too. I mean, I just, I just rather use it because it was fairly clearly how the Buddha taught. You know, the, the words that the Buddhists were not Sanskrit. I suppose Mahayana Buddhists might challenge that, but I, I, I doubt it honestly. No, and many of them are now studying the Pali. I just had a Taiwanese nun in Canada. She's she's using my digital Pali, the digital Pali reader, to teach uh, in Taiwan, and so she asked for the new version of it. So yeah, just using Pali because it's it's, it's the source. It's, the words that the Buddha used. So to use words like nirvana and sangskara and dharma just doesn't feel right. Also, it's too institutional, right? It's the Brahmin. The Brahmins were the only ones who used Sanskrit 
from what I understand, Sanskrit wasn't even a real language. It was artificial create artificially created because uh, to give rules to language that was uh, chaotic. You know, language is always evolving, and so they wanted to stop that and get back to a language that was perfect. And so Sanskrit. That's the great thing about Sanskrit is how elegant it is. It is fairly. It's about as close, I think, to perfect as any language has gotten. And that's because it was designed to be perfect. In the sense, perfect, it's not perfect, but perfect in the sense of having rules and following rules and uh, exemplifying them. So a word, a Sanskrit word, can often be very difficult to pronounce because you're sticking things together and you're not modifying them very much. You're keeping them in their form or you're following rules and how you change them. Hmm. It's a fairly well-constructed language, but it was artificially constructed, and it was the language of the elites. The only people who could learn it were the Brahmins, this sort of thing. So it's not really a language that we want uh, to, to use as Buddhists. And so it leaves a bad taste in your mouth, and you, you hear this and you think, well, why are they using this language that was made by a priestly caste and you know used as a means of dividing people and keeping people away from the, the teachings and keeping people away from god so they could act as a middleman right the idea was we have the language so you need us and so, so hence the reason why it's often looked up to it's seen as this sort of elite language and only certain people and it's it's intoxicating in that way anyone who uses the sanskrit words feels somehow superior as a result. I, that's what I hinted at with this monk, and he kind of agreed. He, he understood that expression. He's, he's a fairly um, accommodating sort of monk. He's a nice guy. He doesn't, he's, he doesn't like argument or conflict, so he's always trying to find. So, he was, so I don't know whether he actually um, agreed with me or just wanted to placate me. We, we then had a big argument about uh, immigration and whether whether Canada should uh, uh, institute strong Im immigration reform to keep out. I mean, for them, it's the Tamils. There are so many Tamil Sri Lankans here, and all of them claim to be refugees from Sri Lanka. Uh, not all of them, but you know, there's so many many refugees here, and uh, the Sri Lankans are suspicious of this because they didn't seem to think that the Tamils had it very bad and the Tamils were saying that they had it horrible and anyway many of them were terrorists and so anyway there's a big argument and which side is right I mean I don't want to make it sound like both sides are equally valid because that's usually never the case but in this case I'm I'm not sure which side is is correct but anyway that wasn't the point that wasn't my point but that's where they were coming from my point was if you close off my point was to, was kindness is important and compassion is important and the argument is that if you're compassionate people take advantage of it and my question was is that really such a bad thing the conventional wisdom is yes that destroys your country if you're too compassionate and um I suppose I could agree with too compassionate, but if you're just because your compassion leads people to take advantage of you, I don't think that necessarily means that you're being too compassionate. That 
a result of your compassion may be people temporarily taking advantage of you. Because we can never lose sight of the idea of karma. That really, if people do actually take advantage of you and you lose as a result of it, then you should somehow attribute it to karma, to having to do with... Could be present karma that these people are making fresh, but you shouldn't be concerned with it. You know, Most likely it's a bad deeds that you've done because compassion is something that gives that empowers you it brings you friends and respect and and social status over the long term it has great benefit and i think that's what you see in countries that have been compassionate you know some good things about canada is the peacekeeping activities and and you know being fairly compassionate part of it is we have so much space so we can take people in but You know, they say, well, that's a problem now because you have these groups of people who have high, uh, become very powerful. There's so many of them that they, they have a voice then. They come here and they're able to change discord, change, they're able to have power in society. Anyway, it's a very complicated situation and I just wanted to talk about the compassion side. It's interesting to me. I think um, I hadn't thought about it, but hearing that Canada has been compassionate think or it sounds like that's a compassionate they, they were saying yeah it wasn't really compassionate it was there was a political motivation and so which could very likely be true there is one more question what words were what words were introduced to Pali by Buddha introduced to Pali well Pali first of all isn't a language Pali actually was used to describe the texts. Um, the, the language was Magadan. That's Magadha is the language that we understood the, that the Buddha spoke. Uh, it was being it was the language of the people of Magadha or that area, what is now Uttar Pradesh and Bihar, I think. And I don't know that the Buddha introduced any of the words. I suppose there are some constructs that he used. Uh, yeah, I would bet that he introduced some constructs, but I think it'd be hard. I mean, I'm certainly not in a position to tell you which ones those are. You know, there's words like sabhava, sabhava. I don't know that he actually used it, but it's used. Um, I don't know that he actually introduced any words. He used a lot of words differently. Obviously, he used dharma and karma differently. Buddha, he used differently. Um, no, even just the word Buddha wasn't used, I don't think, not in that sense. Maybe Nibbana, that may have been a word that he coined. I don't know that it was ever used. I mean, Nirvana might have been used in a more secular way, you know, like, like when you unbind something. But it may not have been used. No, it probably was. It was probably just the first time it had been used as a, to describe a religious uh, goal. Do 
Did you say Buddha was a word before the Buddha was enlightened? The thing about Pali Sanskrit is there are near infinite words. We, they don't have words like we have words. They form words, which you may have been realizing through our study of Pali. And so it may be that no one ever used a certain formation, but that formation still exists and is still proper. If someone does decide to use the formation, then they can use it. You know, even the paradigms, not every version of, the, of, of every word is used. Uh, not every declension of every word is used in, in the Pali Tipitaka. But, I mean, that doesn't mean it wasn't ever used in, in conversation or in, in, in teaching. But derivation is, it goes even further. A word, like you have roots and you turn them into nouns. So, and you add prefixes and suffixes and, and, and compounds and so on. So the amount of words is possible, is staggering. So someone was asking for a spell check. We had this many years ago, someone, when I used to do internet forums, someone asked for Pali spell check. And I was trying to explain how, how, how difficult that would be. Because you can't just have a list of words. And they were arguing, someone was saying, well, what about words that are in the Tipitaka? I said, well, fine, but the Tipitaka is only a certain fraction of the, of the form, formation. So yes, if you want a spell check for words that do conform the, to the Tipitaka and commentaries, then it's a good start. And you'd hit the most common words. But you couldn't use it as a spell check, really. A Pali Sanskrit spell check would be very, very difficult because you need to think about compounds. You need to parse the compound. I mean, a Pali reader, digital Pali reader, comes close if it's if it's in the digital Pali reader. If it if you click on it and it comes up with something, then at least you know that that compound is potentially possible, or that word is potentially possible. But the digital Pali reader is far from a spell checker. If you want to know about the digital poly reader, I think you can just Google it at this point. It's a Firefox extension, so you need Firefox. And then check it out. Okay, I have to go. Nine minutes, I'm giving another talk, so I'm late. Uh, but thanks, everyone. Good to see you all. I'll try to be here tomorrow. Mm, yeah, should be able to be. I'll just leave all this stuff down here, maybe. Okay, so thank you. Have a good night. Thank you, Pante. Thanks, Robin. We'll see you tomorrow.